Good morning, everyone. As Al said, my name's Rick. Uh, my family and I live in uh, Carina, which is right next to Carindale in, in Brisbane. I have a darling wife, uh, Charlene, and uh, three kids, Jeffrey, Sarah and Sam. Um, Sarah's here with me today. She made the trip. Um, I, my, my oldest uh, has been in hospital for a couple of weeks, so, uh, so we decided to leave the rest of them at home and, and we come for the trip down here. But uh, whilst we, we say I'm from Brisbane, I'm, I'm not really. I was born in Lismore Base Hospital. Uh, I was dedicated seven days later in Lismore Baptist Church. I uh, went to uh, Lismore Primary School, Wallingbark Public School, Alstonville High School. Uh, I was baptised in Alstonville Baptist Church. Uh, when I was 17, in my final year of, of, of high school, uh, I was diagnosed with cancer, uh, and uh, that church uh, prayed for me. In fact, the whole felt like the whole community prayed for me, and I was I was healed of cancer as a as a 17 year old, and uh, went to uh, the, the school formal with my then girlfriend, now wife, with with no hair from having chemotherapy. And uh, then at the end of year 12, moved to Brisbane and to study and kind of never made it back. Uh, Mum and dad are down here. They're down in Ballina and, and uh, a bunch of you guys uh, know them. And I know um, mum spends a lot of time with, with Jackie and uh, adores them. Um, saw Christy this morning and I, I was just reminded of, of her mum when I was in year 12 and her praying for me that I'd be healed of cancer. And I just felt so blessed and just want to pass that on to you, that, that memory I have of her was such a blessing to me. Uh, but uh, we're here today to uh, uh, talk about uh, God's Word. So if you want to open up your Bible to Isaiah 61. <coughs> Still have Bibles or everyone just looks it up on their phone? Yeah? Yeah, me too. Alrighty. So the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and to provide those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called the oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Today these words, these prophecies fulfilled in your presence... So that there is a reenactment if you turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 4. Because that's what Jesus did 700 years after the prophet Isaiah wrote those words. 700 years before Jesus, Isaiah wrote in what we now know as Isaiah 61 those words to a people who were oppressed a people who had no church, a people who were having their uh, people thrown in jail, 
as we know, they had all of those wonderful laws in Leviticus that told them how, what to eat and how to purify themselves. And they did all of that because it kept them healthy and they lived a long life. Well, they were sick and they were dying because it was really hard to follow those laws at that, that time that they were in. And the words that Isaiah wrote to them gave them hope that one day the poor would come out of poverty and the brokenhearted would be bound up and there'd be freedom for the people that they put in prison. And those words would have been read to those people year after year, year after year, and nothing happened. It still gave them hope because they believed in good times ahead. And then all of a sudden, one day, Jesus, who'd been about in Capernaum, comes back to his hometown of Nazareth, and by coincidence, which we know is God working, the reading of the days from Isaiah 61, and he read it just like I did. And he sat down and he said that it's fulfilled. Can you get the magnitude of that? All of the waiting, all of the waiting, and he's finally arrived. Last year, I would have to say, would be the toughest year of my life. And I've known hard years. I told you I had cancer when I was, was, was 17. And uh, uh, I was a young pastor of a church that closed down when I was 23. And that was pretty rough. We've known uh, miscarriages as a family and a bunch of different challenges along the way. But last year, you found a way to top all of that. Um, you ask people, what's the most painful thing in life? And you get a various number of answers, sort of unrequired love, um, stepping on a Lego, gunshot wound. But for me, the thing that causes me the most pain is seeing your children in pain and the powerlessness to do anything about that. And we had a bunch of that last year. Uh, my, my firstborn is 20 years old and on his, at his 18th birthday party, he went to see some friends after it was over and was in a car accident. It was pretty mild. But that started some neck pain that gradually got worse and worse and worse. And he started taking medication to make it better and he needed more and more and more and he tried to solve a bunch of these problems on his own and started to affect his mental health and it affected his performance at uni, his relationship with his girlfriend and his relationship with us and relationship with God and a bunch of stuff. And he started to go down and down and spiral into this pretty bad place. Um... And so he was in a lot of pain that year and we ended up getting some good doctors and he's on a great path right now to recovery, but it was pretty painful. Sarah was doing year 12 and she was finding that pretty tough uh, to cope at the time and uh, I'd got this great uh, job at work earlier in the year and leading 240 people and we are going to change the way the company ran and literally within a, within a week I went from being the guy who was going to turn the company around to the guy whose fault it was that the company's where it was. My boss was putting me under pressure like I'd not known before. He was bad-mouthing me in, in the business. And just I just couldn't go anywhere for respite. Work was stressful. Home was stressful. My wife's trying to cope. The kids are trying to cope. I do have a third child, Sam. He was delightful through all of this, by the way. Um, God always shows you some signs of grace, doesn't he? Um, but things were just tough, right? And um, 
And then if I can lob in on our, on, on our football stories, thanks for opening the door. Uh, we follow the Cronulla Sharks, and so this son of mine who's had this rugged year, our team ends up making it to the grand final, and I had always promised if this miracle ever happened, <laughs> given we're the deadbeats of the comp, right, our team's cursed with this message that, uh, you know, waiting for a premiership's like uh, leaving the light on for Harold Holt. So it's never going to happen. And finally, lo and behold, we do this. Now, of course, I don't have the money to do it, but I made the promise, so we go down there anyway. And then, lo and behold, sitting in the crowd, our team actually wins. And it was the most amazing thing. Waiting 50 years, the comp team had never won before. I've been following them for 30-something years. My son followed them his whole life. And we have this, and this moment of exhilaration and enjoyment uh, that we had and we shared on that weekend despite all of the circumstances that we had going on was just amazing. And that's a glimpse of what happened in this story when Jesus turns up. 700 years of waiting and Jesus turns up to tell them that the promise has been fulfilled and he's doing it. Now I expect when they read those words they weren't expecting Jesus. I expect they were looking for a king. They were looking for some kind of leader who was going to go, we're going to cast these bad guys out of town. We're going to kill the uh, baddies. We're going to bring all these people out. We're going to release our prisoners out of jail. and We're going to take over the town and everything's going to be okay. But instead, this guy turns up back in the hometown, Joseph's son. It's not quite fitting the bill. But let's have a look at what the prophet the prophecy was that he's been fulfilled. You see, there's good news for the poor. Jesus came to take the poor out of poverty. And we can sit in church today and say, yes, so you spiritually poor, come down the front. But he actually meant the real poor, the people who don't actually have any money. Those people now have hope. We said he came to bind up the brokenhearted and we can think of the brokenhearted as the people who were lovesick and I busted up with my girlfriend and now I'm brokenhearted. That's not what that means. That's brokenhearted means I'm broken on the inside. They weren't real good at anatomy back then when they wrote this stuff so it's not a, uh, a sort of physician's type view of the world. What they're saying is you're busted up on the inside. People with headaches, people with pain on the inside... I think this speaks directly to the people that are mentally ill. Um, Jesus came to bind those things up and bring healing. The blind will have sight. The captives are going to be free. Now when Isaiah wrote it, he was thinking about the people who were locked up. And it wasn't fair that they were locked up just because they were Israelites. And when Jesus reinterprets this, he says, we're going to go into the jail and let people free out of that. And he shows that their grace is coming because those people deserve to be in jail and Jesus comes to set them free as well. In our church in, in Brisbane, we've had a ministry running for over 50 years that goes into the jails to tell people about Jesus. And there's a guy who runs that up, he's... Uh, lives in a retirement home and he still goes out there. Now the guy who leads it up with him has taken it on from his dad who used to do it and he's so old he's even older than me as well. And, uh, but that ministry to those people to say you can be set free in Jesus' name. And he came to comfort those who mourn. Loss is a horrible thing. 
And at one stage in life, we all go through periods of loss. And that's pain. And Jesus says, I promise that I fulfill this prophecy that you will be comforted. And not only will you be comforted, you'll experience joy. And for those of you who are in despair and you're at the end of yourself and you don't know where to go, I'm going to turn that into a spirit of praise. And my favourite, for all of these people, whichever one of those you are, for however, which one of those oppressions impacts you, he says you will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendour. I went to San Francisco last year and to, to speak at a conference and we got to go to see the sequoias up there and these massive trees, just so huge. And there's a big uh, forest of them just on the other side of the Golden Gate Bridge. And to look at them standing there strong with their roots down deep. Some of them have been there thousands of years. They are immovable. You can see them for miles around. And that's what Jesus says when he says, I'm coming to fulfill this prophecy. We, the people who live in the time of the prophecy being fulfilled, are people who can stand tall, with roots down deep, right up to the sky, in a group, in a community that people knows will come after us. You see, it's about to be Christmas in a few months, and I believe on Christmas Day we should read Isaiah 61. Because we say that giving out presents on Christmas morning is about remembering the gift that Jesus came for. Well, if you wake up on Christmas Day and you're sick, what gift do you want? If you wake up on Christmas Day and you're broken-hearted, if you're captive, if you're blind, if you're in mourning, what gift do you want? You want Jesus to come and bring you out of poverty to bind up that broken heart, to set you free from captivity, provide sight if you're blind. They're the reasons that Jesus came. The church uh, that we're going to in, in, in Brisbane was in uh, Rochdale and it's uh, called New Heart Baptist Church and my wife and I joined a church plant uh, about three and a half years ago. And uh, we see a lot of similarities between, between us and you. We, we have got our own building, though, uh, which is very uh, exciting. This place called Cary Baptist Church, their congregation got so old that they all died. So there was literally four of them left in their late 80s. And then they said, what are we going to do with this church? And our church put up its hand and said, well, we'll move in. We'll have a plan in there. And... Uh, and so we did. And so I see these great uh, similarities when um, Alan Jackie said they were starting this off. We said, hey, we want to sow and in invest in that and tell you a bit about our story. And so as we kicked off this, uh, this church and, and what we were going to do, we said, well, Balmoral is a really wealthy area. So we see ourselves tapping into the wealthy businessmen in that area who have got everything in life but have still got that God-shaped hole in their heart and we're going to go and fill that. And there's a lot of expats in the community as well, people from the UK and Europe, and the husband's working and wife's at home, and she's got no family and no friends. And so we saw this, this sort of gap, uh, a need that needed to be met. And so we started a playgroup uh, with one of the mums. And people started coming on, and it was a nice little playgroup. And then by coincidence, which of course we know it 
coincidences in the kingdom of God, there's a number of ladies who turned out to be victims of domestic violence. And they didn't know where to turn because they didn't understand how things worked in Australia. They didn't have any family and friends as, as support. And so this friend of ours who's heading up the playgroup started reaching out and helping them. And lo and behold, there's a ministry that we discovered that we needed to set up. And so we now have this open house uh, on a Tuesday morning that we have in the church. And anyone from the community can come uh, if you're a survivor of domestic violence. And my wife's involved with, with this lady as well. And we'll, we'll set people up and we'll do an assessment, uh, see what their needs are. And then we'll create a plan to help them out. And so that can be really varied. It might be things like uh, arranging transport for people to get to see a doctor or perhaps seeing legal. We might connect them up with things like uh, DV Connect or some of the other services that are out in town. So most of the domestic violence services in Brisbane are all very much um, targeted to the, to the crisis. You're in crisis, we can help you out. But once you're out of crisis, then... We, we can't help you anymore. And so we've got this mission to bring people into community and, and wholeness through this, through this service. And so the ladies are coming, taking them on the plan. Sometimes they need to sort out kids. Sometimes we need to help them with visas, all sorts of stuff uh, end to end. And, and because we're in the church, the ladies start saying, well, can we come to church? And so they start inviting themselves to church. Of course, that's our plan all along. But, um, but we very much about ministering to, to them. Uh, and so they started coming to church and they started uh, getting saved. And we've got these wonderful stories of these women who have come out of these dark places and uh, get healed of their poverty and get... Uh, healed of their captivity and often their husbands don't let them have any money. So even though they're quite rich on the outside, they're actually truly living in poverty because they're struggling to find food to feed their own kids. Um, housing can be a problem too then if we need to, to deal with it. But um, So we went into Balmoral thinking that we're going to be preaching to the high end of high end of town and I teased the senior pastor that he thought that they were going to tie lots of money and fund the rest of the church somewhere else. But that opposite happened. God put us in this place to be doing this stuff in Isaiah 60. There were people in great need, in great oppression in this, in this town and, um, and these lovely stories of people um, who are turning their lives around and then, then they make it back into community and we can let them go. They've got housing kids are in school, they've got a friend group, they come to church, they join a small group and they're in discipleship. So these people make it all the way through this journey and it's just been a lovely uh, uh, charity to be, to be involved in. I told you about my dramas of, of last year and work. Uh, it ended up culminating in me uh, losing my job at the beginning of this year and so I was out of work for eight weeks. But coincidentally... It uh, became a time where I could sit down and write this business plan for this charity and was able to then get 
uh, it approved by government as a registered charity, so it can now take tax-deductible donations. And now the people in the community of Balmoral are getting behind it because they can uh, provide this. And we've, you know, we've got to launch, uh, kick off to raise some funds and awareness next week. But it's the sort of thing that we're able to do as a church because we've got a building that's in the, in the community like that. Often our churches talk about um, Matthew 28 and the Great Commission as being uh, the purpose of the church and, and what we hear of. Uh, you know, and that's just uh, for us to go into all the world and tell the good news and make disciples of all nations. So when you read that, I want you to read that with the understanding of what the good news is. And the good news is Isaiah 61. And so when we're called to go in and make disciples of all nations, the disciples we're making are the people who are going to deliver on the promise that Jesus gave us about Isaiah 61. So it's our call as a church to go out there and help the poor get out of poverty, to take the oppressed and get them out, to provide them hope, to bind up the brokenhearted and to turn... Joy, turn mourning uh, into joy. So hearing the precipice that you guys are on as a church, uh, and, and Al says to say, you know, feel what God's saying, I feel that God's saying to you guys as a church that you need to use this building for the people that are out there, that are living this type of oppression. So you can have church in there and it'll be great. You can have Bible studies in there, you can have prayer meetings, you can have youth in there and it'll be great. But you've got an opportunity to invite the world in there and provide and deliver on Jesus' promise of Luke chapter 4. So when Jesus gets to the end of Luke 4 and he tells people this exciting news that the good news has come, have a look at what their response is. So there's a nice little verse where, uh, where they say to him, all the eyes were fixed on him and he began to tell them that I'm not going to do the healings here that, that I did out in Capernaum. And so everybody spoke well of him in verse 22 and they were amazed at his gracious words that came from his mouth and so they should be because 700 years of prophecy is coming true. But then as he starts to tell them the message that this prophecy isn't just being filled for you people who live at home but it's for this whole world, they actually turn on him. They're actually ready to drive him off a cliff and take him and throw him there. So it's a difficult message for the church to, to hang on to and change that we can't just focus on ourselves and our internal world and our, our spiritual uh, freedom that comes out of captivity but the true freedom for the people who are physically captivated. Now don't get me wrong, all of those uh, spiritual truths are absolutely true as well and Jesus will redeem us from all those things too. Uh, but my message to you this morning is this exciting time as you go into a new world with a new building is a real opportunity uh, 
if you'd open up yourselves to the people of Ganelabar and surrounding areas that, that need Jesus and need the words of that prophecy 2,000 years later. So I just want to finish up this morning, if I can, by just offering an uh, opportunity to, to, to pray for anyone who wants prayer, whether those things are physical, spiritual, whatever. But I'd also like to spend a moment just to pray for uh, Alan Jackie too, that as you guys have to get to the excitement of leading this place forward, that um, you guys have the courage to stand out and, and find what it is that God wants to do in this, in this new place. So can I do that? Come. Can I just tell you something that I just leaned over to Al when you started to preach and said, did you tell him? And I went, no. Um, when we were single and respectively on the YWAM base 25 years ago, um, we were prayed for individually, not together anything. Um, and God spoke over both of our lives, Isaiah 61. And when we got married and we had a lady give us words of counsel at our wedding ceremony and prayed over us, she prayed Isaiah 61. And when we prayed about coming down to live in Ballina, Lismore, God spoke to us Isaiah 61. So when you open with Isaiah 61, I just went, it's like, do you reckon he's saying something? <laughs> I'm really encouraged by what Rick has had to say. Uh, I'm also a big believer in not just uh, information but an impartation of God as well. And I think uh, as we listen to what I know, sitting there listening to what you're saying, um, I'm I'm not just hearing words but I'm really feeling God speaking to us. Um, We said from the start that if you're interested in just Sunday meetings and so on, I can introduce you to some wonderful pastors and great churches and you can go and do that stuff. We're here to try to be a movement of God's people and impact our community. We're not here for what happens here. We're not trying to build a gathering of consumers, but we want to contribute something. We, we have, each of us have something on our life 
that God's calling us together to contribute and to give, to invest into the kingdom, to invest into other people uh, that don't have what we have. So uh, I, I really feel that there's something significant that's, that's transacting here this morning. So I would, would love it, uh, as, just as we finish up, I'm just going to jump on the guitar there. I'm just going to play a bit of music. And uh, just, can I just encourage you, let's just worship God uh, together. But as you feel led, why don't you come forward? I'd love Rick to lay hands on you and to, to pray for you this morning. I recommend this man of God. He's a great man. Um, I always encourage people to be wise who you let lay hands on you. Uh, because it's not just a fancy thing we do in church. There's a real impartation, spirit to spirit. So uh, let me encourage you to, to come out the front, just, just let Rick uh, pray for you, uh, impart what's on him, what's on his family, uh, what the Spirit of God's placed upon his life, because I think it's the kind of stuff that we need uh, amongst us as a community as we go forward as well. So I'm just going to jump on the guitar there. Christy, you want to jump on the keys with me? And uh, we're just going to worship God for a few minutes. And as I said, as you feel led, just feel free to come on forward. And I'm going to ask Rick to hang around up the front here and just pray for us. So.